Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to ALRPRA Law Talk Radio. Today is Wednesday, October 13th, and I'm your host, Nick Augustine. This show is produced by ALRPRA Incorporated, a national law practice management agency headquartered downtown Chicago, Illinois, and serving greater Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C. We help manage our clients' business so they can spend more time practicing law. Today's guest is attorney Melanie Bayana, who practices family law and domestic relations in the Chicagoland area. Attorney Bayana earned her law degree from the Chicago Kent College of Law, who awarded Ms. Bayana the Kelly Award for Excellence in, Advan- Excellence in Advanced Research and Writing and Criminal Procedure. Attorney Bayana is a member of the International Academy of Collaborative Professionals and is a fellow and co-chair of the Collaborative Law Institute of Illinois. Serving on several additional professional committees and various organizations, attorney Melanie Bayana is a recognized leader in reform. Her current efforts with the Lotus Rising Foundation concern creative pathways to transcend oppression and violence in domestic relations matters. Before we uh, go forward with our show today, we want to remind you that we will take questions either by email to info at ALRPRA.com or by telephone call at area code 917-889-9732, pressing option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. Again, that telephone number is 917-889-9732 option one for the queue. Uh, we want to also let you know about uh, a contest we have going on, or rather a promotion. Um, all callers and people who do email us with their questions uh, do res- are entered into the running to receive free admission to an upcoming event titled Lawyers Avoiding Legal and Business Pitfalls in Social Media. This is an event that will be held live here in Chicago and broadcast via webinar to uh, all those who can't attend it live. Uh, There's a morning session October 19th and an evening session Wednesday, October 27th. Regular price of admission is $25. You can find more information about that event by uh, going to our Facebook page at Facebook forward slash ALRPRA. Moving forward, this is a General, by way of disclaimer, rather, this is a general information program, and the advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice. Results may vary and are based on specific facts and locations. Communication with attorney guests among guests and callers on the show does not give rise to an attorney-client relationship. If you have further questions, you're always encouraged to consult an attorney and or other professional in your area. Finally, all callers do remain confidential, and all rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. Without further ado, I'd like to uh, introduce attorney Melanie Bayana. Melanie, how are you today? Great. Thanks, Nick. Thank you for inviting me to join your show. I'm very happy to have you on here. Um, very interesting to hear um, your activities with uh, international domestic relations issues. Um, and I know that my uh, listeners have uh, heard me uh, talk about family law before. Again, that's the practice area I came out of before um, going into the PR and law practice management industry. And I know that the international aspects of family law are uh, something that's been accelerating at an alarming rate um, you know, here in Chicago and in other places around the country. And I think that there are all sorts of people out there who don't really know what to do when they have an international issue. So I appreciate the opportunity to have you share some of uh, these uh, uh, this information with us and give people some direction uh, when they have issues of this type. Well, I really appreciate you allowing me to give voice to these issues and to guide my colleagues, courts, and hopefully um, even to shape policy on a national level because, as you very correctly stated, it has become um, an increasing problem within the United States. 
Well, step one is educating people about the problem. So let's go through and identify a few issues and give a general introduction to the cause, as we'll just call it for today's purposes, um, the cause being uh, international uh, domestic relations and family uh, law in domestic custody and other things that are uh, impacted by international factors. So um, could you just start by telling us generally who is affected by international family law and custody issues based on your experience as a practicing family law attorney? We're all affected. And the reason is is because the family is the fabric of our society. And when families are ripped and torn apart, the average taxpayer does need to pay into the system to support the court system and the uh, the governmental bodies that need to step in and fix a problem. So every single citizen, permanent resident, uh, resident of the United States is affected, as well as lawyers, judges, parents, children, and political officials. So how are they affected and what what types of uh, issues usually arise? Well, what's happening right now is that there is a lack of information and awareness as to how child abduction can occur, does occur, the um, a lack of education and awareness as to resources for prevention as well as intervention. And what we need to do as a country is bring that to the grassroots level because there are far too many unsuspecting parents who fall into the trap of allowing their children to leave the country, not realizing they may never be returned, or not in advance accessing legal uh, resources and protections prior to agreeing to such, such an arrangement. Now, in your experience as a family law attorney, how many, how often is does it occur that you have children in visitation issues that are um, overseas? Well, my practice does handle quite a few interfaith, intercultural um, divorces, and I do provide quite a bit of um, education to my my own clients or in in a mediation context as to some of the things that they might want to consider when crafting agreements, whether they're short-term or long-term, or entering orders in court. The one thing that I I will state right from the get-go is that legal services are probably the single greatest unmet need of those that might be at risk for child abduction. And the reason I say that is because oftentimes um, there could be a domestic violence situation, there could be an imbalance of power where one party has vast resources or a support system, um, whether in another country or in this country, and may be able to bully, bulldoze, and bankrupt the other party into submission and giving up their children. I would like to point to 
an article that the Daily Herald had published on April 21, 2010, the 10th anniversary of the return of Elian Gonzalez to Cuba. And if you recall, it was a very unpopular decision. Uh, however, the U.S. government was following international law and complying with the requirements of the Hague Convention. And the State Department, within that article, clearly states that it's an increasing problem as the, the world becomes smaller, people are more mobile globally, and abductions are growing. In 2000 alone, the State Department opened 432 new cases of child abduction from the United States to other nations. In 2009, the reported abductions jumped to 1,139, involving 1,631 children. And as of the date of that article, the department has more than 2,000 open cases involving more than 3,000 children. And this is quoted directly from that article. The um, State Department goes on to say that children who are abducted by their parents are often suddenly isolated from their extended families, friends, and classmates. They are at risk of serious emotional and psychological problems. Similarly, left-behind parents face emotional trauma and significant financial costs compounded by unfamiliar legal, cultural, and or linguistic barriers. The State Department further goes on to say that um, the International Parent Kidnapping Crime Act of 1993 makes it a federal felony to remove or retain a child younger than 16 from the United States. The Hague Convention is the most effective solution available to left-behind parents to reunite with their abducted children, according to the U.S. State Department. But what happens if you're in a non-Hague Convention country? Or if you are even in a Hague Convention country, generally speaking, you have to get through the court system first <laughs> in order mm -hmm. to get an order that would require the government to, retain, to return the child. So uh, it's really um, an onerous burden on the left-behind parent, again, who may not have the money, the, the resources, the wherewithal, the support system, um, the ability to leave their home or their jobs and, and go to another country and, and fight it out to, re to get their children returned. So what, what do we do about this situation, and how do we... Well, and, and just to jump in here... Um, I think that it's imperative that we make it very clear um, from the beginning that it is so important for people who are facing these issues to find the correct agency or appropriate professional. Um, I was discussing international uh, matters with uh, a well-known and respected colleague who works in immigration and speaks often on human trafficking, and she was telling me that there are all sorts of uh, things out there where, and you know, purported resources where people try to engage in self-help and do it on their own. And for example, I guess with immigration um, and you know some of these issues, uh, people will find associations or companies out there who purport to give you everything you need, you know, similar to a legal Zoom type of a, a provider here in the U.S., um, and that's just not going to get it done. There's so many issues, it's so complex. Um, that same individual told me that when she meets with someone, uh, 
they go through a very long and lengthy interview process first before even getting to the issues because every different country is so unique um, and it just can't stress enough the importance of having those left-behind parents contact an appropriate legal professional, the right lawyer in the right area who knows the right people to do. So, um, you know, we don't want people to engage in self-help and try to do it on their own because they could, you know, cause all sorts of uh, further problems that are undoable. Is that a true statement in your opinion? Yes. I, and there, there are all sorts of resources out there, even um, which I learned about <laughs> through personal experience, probably a little late in the game. And one of the things that left-behind parents should immediately do is contact their local representative who will then work with the U.S. State Department, the Office of the Children's Issues, I'm sorry, Office of Children's Issues, to open up a case so that the U.S. State Department is kept abreast of what's happening in that foreign country. And they often will work with the U.S. consulate within that foreign nation to track the child. Uh, They can conduct welfare and whereabouts checks, and that is if you know where the child is. The other thing they can do is contact the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, which that particular organization is affiliated with the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Now, oftentimes they say, the parent might say, well, I know where the child is. It doesn't matter. The child is missing from the United States. So that's the definition of missing, even if you know where the child is residing who the child is being taken, you know, who is taking care of the child, more than likely the abductor um, and or extended family, et cetera, because many times in these foreign countries um, it is commonplace for the abductor not to be directly caring for the child but for extended family or, and I, and I don't like this term, servants or hi- I would say hired help, even drivers, um, cooks, nannies, so on and so forth, taking care of the children. Those are the two resources that I would say have been most helpful in my case. Um, But at the same time, you do have to work through the legal system in the United States as well as that foreign nation. Um, The local representatives, again, may be able to connect you with resources, pro bono attorneys or organizations that may, if, if you cannot fund the legal battle yourself, there may be groups that will come forward, perhaps within your community or within mainstream community. What usually happens with the Illinois courts when an issue like this uh, comes into play. Is there any, you know, once someone advises the court that they have contacted local, uh, is this something that happens? I guess I'm asking the question. Um, Do the attorneys let the courts know that there are other intervening bodies? Not necessarily because the attorneys aren't even aware of this often. (laughs) Um, In fact, again, in my own personal experience, we we learned of all these resources later, later in the game. And my, I have to tell you, my firm, Grund and Levitt, they've been fabulous, and they're, they're top-notch attorneys. Um, so I've been very blessed that they have they have carried me, um, even though I'm probably nearly half a million dollars in debt to them at this point because they, they do believe in following international law and having children returned in these situations um, and are 
are absolutely committed to this cause. So judges often panic, especially on the trial court level, if they have had no experience in international child abduction cases. They're not um, equipped to make rulings on jurisdiction, on you know temporary possession, custody, and may uh, rule against the left-behind parent for sheer lack of knowledge and lack of education. Um, so it, it is it is a question of equ- equipping even our judiciary with the knowledge so that they can properly and effectively manage a case that comes before them that they may never have handled before. Uh, and that's certainly a challenge to them, and I can appreciate the concern from the bench not wanting to put a child in harm. And I, I know my, well, my background with this was uh, working on the emergency motions to um, turn over the passport and uh, put the passport somewhere for safekeeping. But as we all know, the passport is not the only ticket out of the country, and oftentimes uh, in countries that don't have such security protection, you can have multiple passports out there um, buzzing around. Um, so uh, all the all the effort seems to be put on the preventative, um, you know, prevent the, the children from being taken out of the country. But what happens when they do? It seems I've very rarely seen where that uh, and it comes into play because again, no one seems to know what's going on there. So a very, very poignant um, uh, topic of discussion today. Let's pause quickly for our uh, first sponsor break, and then we'll be back to uh, family law attorney Melanie Bayana, who's talking about international child custody uh, issues. And we are talking on ALRPRA Law Talk Radio. This is a special broadcast today, and we just want to pause for our first sponsor, who is Attorney Nancy K. Ducharme. Attorney Nancy K. Ducharme is there when you need the right legal services to advance creativity. We're talking about marketing law primarily here within the rubric of intellectual property. Attorney Nancy K. Ducharme brings big law firm experience and reputation to her intellectual property law firm as she serves national corporate clients in the areas of trademark, copyright, Internet law, and advertising law. You can find the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme by visiting nkdlaw.com and also by searching for the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme on Facebook. By clicking the like button in the law firm's business fan page, you will receive periodic blog updates with recent developments in the rapidly changing field of intellectual property law. Now back to our discussion today. Anyone who has a question certainly can call in uh, to area code 917-889-9732. Again, 917-889-9732, option one for the queue. Also, if you do have any questions, please email us at info, I-N-F-O, at A-L-R-P-R-A.com. We realize that many of you who do listen to these broadcasts listen after the fact to the archive links and archive broadcasts, and we do appreciate that you share those with other people um, to, again, spread information that we are desperately trying to bring to our listening audience on this show uh, for those who may not personally have encountered some of the issues that our guests talk about. So it's important to, again, share information, and always please do uh, send us uh, questions or comments by email, and we do forward those to our guests. So without further ado, I'd like to get back to our guest, Attorney Melanie Bayana. Melanie, we were talking a little bit about the courts not 
uh, knowing what to do in uh, so, so many of these situations where they are presented with uh, international child custody or other issues. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the campaign and the efforts uh, that you see appropriate in bringing some education uh, to all the people who are impacted by these issues. Sure. Nick, in fact, this is a perfect segue into uh, something that I was going to interject with, and that is one of the things that happens in these cases is it's really a first-in-time problem. Who gets to which court first and obtains orders? And the reason I say this is since I've experienced um, this problem in my own personal life, I've received calls from both within Illinois and across the nation from lawyers and or litigants who are facing a similar uh, case or issue or problem or want to know how to prevent it. And what I'd like to do is talk about on a general level um, without any identifying information being disclosed, two of the cases that came to me um, from the East Coast to exemplify what exactly can happen. One was from a Virginia mom who was actually, she's American, and had married an Indian man. They got divorced. There were issues of domestic violence. She had custody of the children, young children, and she was actually in the appellate court of her state because she had objected to father taking the children for a two-week vacation in November. And the reason she objected was um, he had no roots here in the United States. He was a flight risk, and she was very concerned. She, she, he had family. He had some prominence in India, and she was very, very concerned if the children were to leave the country, they would not come back. She lost on the trial court level, and she appealed the decision. And she called me to see if I might write her a letter of support for her for her case, which I'm not inclined to do at this point um, for, for several reasons. One, I, I'm not going to adjudicate a case that I don't know a, a lot of information about. Um, but secondly, I have to be careful in taking a position in another state and, and in another venue. What I said to her, though, in talking through her dilemma, because she said, I don't, I don't think the courts understand how high of a flight risk he is. And I said, okay, here's my suggestion. And again, this was based on my own personal experience, that in, in, in dialoguing with her, it became very clear what, what one needs to do. See if the father will agree to entering an order in the United States with all of the provisions, the parameters, protocols as to when the children would leave, who would transport, the itinerary, how long they would stay, where they would stay, and how they are going to how and when they are going to be returned. Once that is worked out between the attorneys and the litigants and it's entered in court in the United States well before the children travel my suggestion would be then to go to the district in which the father's family resides or where the children would be residing or vacationing 
and in the family court, register it as a foreign judgment. Because at that point, when the family court recognizes the U.S. order and registers it as a foreign judgment, the fact that they're a non-hate convention country effectively goes away. They are saying, we are going to cooperate in returning the child. Because, again, in that Elian Gonzalez's article, the Department of State's Office of Children's Issues indicates that it's now providing assistance in 93 cases of wrongful removal to or wrongful retention in India, cases that involve 105 children. With the exception of Mexico, they state, the department has more open cases to India than to any other country in the world. So now you've kind of forced the hand of India saying, we want to send these children with father to experience their heritage, to spend time with their family, um, extended family that are not here. Mothers agreeing. However, mother has concerns about whether father will return the child or not. Now, once you receive the order in India registering the U.S. judgment as a foreign judgment, certified copy then needs to be registered in the U.S. courts so that the governments here are sufficiently satisfied that this has, in fact, been done. So the U. So again, the foreign. So um, so the foreign court, the you know, certified copy of that order, uh, file with the U.S. court. Is there Correct. Again, registered as a foreign judgment. So now you have both nations, okay, saying, and you have certified copies of all of these orders in the trial court level. So what I said to this woman was, if father doesn't agree to this, and if father's counsel doesn't agree to this you have a very strong argument to the appellate court to say, well, why wouldn't he agree to this if he intended to bring the children back? So there are measures, and in fact, when I'm getting calls from colleagues, whether it's within my collaborative law community, which within the collaborative law community, I will say it's it's a lower risk because um, parents generally, it's a a self-select process where they they don't want acrimony and and adversarial approaches and they want to work things out and uh, with full disclosure and and good faith however agreements do need to be crafted uh, for future protection i mean who knows what'll happen to you know these these parties later although the goal of collaborative law is to have them leave the process um such that there's a healthy co-parenting relationship and that there's healing that's involved and, and they're, they're effectively working as a, as a transitioned family. So, but, but I do have many collaborative lawyers who also litigate and have been calling me asking about, you know, measures they can take or, or language they can put in agreements to prevent this sort of thing from happening. The other call that I received, um, actually an email, was from a gentleman in Georgia who had married a woman. Um, They were both Indian Catholic, residents of green card holders holders, holders, in the United States, and had a three-year-old child who was born in the United States. Mom was previously married um, 
to a Hindu man and divorced a Hindu man but married this this gentleman. There was trouble in the marriage. So mother, who's actually a licensed attorney in India, um, filed for divorce earlier this year. And in the process of working out their differences, voluntarily dismissed the petition, and they were going to work work out their marriage and their differences, asked if she could take the child to India for a few months to visit family and to kind of, you know, process and and have a break from the situation where sort of like the absence makes the Harker founder situation, had convinced Father to take a job, a new job, leave his, his current position, take a new job where he would be traveling. While he was traveling um, and after securing permission to take the child for a few months to India, pretty much packed up the whole house, including paintings, and said she was going to India for a few months. He still said, okay, but the agreement is anytime I want the daughter returned, our daughter returned, or both of you to come back, you know, you will honor that. Several times over the period of that, those few months, he emailed, he called, he said, you know, please bring our daughter home. I think he started to suspect that she was not going to return the child. And as he was making these, and I wouldn't say they were demands, but requests, he missed his daughter and he wasn't really able to see her, talk to her regularly. And as and when her her daughter, his, excuse me, his daughter did speak with him, she would say, Daddy, I miss you, I want to see you, I want to come back home. She turned around and filed for divorce in Georgia. What happened at that point was father filed an emergency motion for return of the child. The courts didn't feel it was an emergency <laughs> and denied mm. that request. How, so, would, how, how is that not an emergency? Exactly. In my opinion, it is. Um, you have a child, a three-year-old child, who, and from all accounts, even from her family, um, he was a very good father, a very involved father. Basically, he was deceived and tricked into allowing the child out of the country. Um, and while he was traveling, I mean, her intent, it appears, clearly was to relocate and never come back. She has a prominent position as an attorney in her home state, um, is claiming that he agreed to her and the child relocating. Uh, and... and, and the facts of this case are actually shockingly similar to what occurred in my own personal case. Um, so, And I did have a chance to speak with the attorney who's handling this case shortly before the, the um, this radio show because I, I wanted to make sure I had my facts straight before I discussed it. So at this point, what the attorney is saying is that the court's don't feel that the child is in, is in any threat or danger. 
um, moms producing, interestingly enough, pictures of the child smiling being held by a person, a man, who father has identified as the family driver. This is very common in India where parents, mothers or fathers, will focus on their careers, they're, you know, making money. Um, oftentimes, and I've seen this firsthand and know it to be a cultural norm, drivers, cooks, household help, nannies will care for the children and actually raise the children. Even sure. I, I have seen these parents bring them to social events and have the children being fed and watched and entertained, even at a social function. So moms presenting to the court, the child is just fine. Look, she's smiling. She's happy. <laughs> you know, she has so much love, even the driver. So the courts don't understand that the trauma that may not be reflected in a photo and that may not be evident until there's an evaluation or a mental health professional who's talking to the child, a child rep, a GAL who's trained in childhood trauma. And, and children present depression and trauma in very different ways. When they're distracted, it's not always apparent. So they didn't think it was an emergency. They did not demand that the child be brought back on an emergency basis. And they have a hearing coming up in a couple of days where mother has indicated that she will bring back the child for this hearing, but they're not confident that she will. So here, here's, again, it, it's lack of education and awareness. Um, children are often taken in their formative years. They are susceptible to um, a lot of influence, kind of out-of-state out of mind, you know, just don't see dad anymore. I'm in a new world, a new culture, new people. Uh, apparently the Skype order that's in place has also been violated on a number of levels and a number of occasions where mother decides when and how and if father will be able to interact with the child. He's not able to leave his job and go to India and try and get her back. He, in fact, has now quit his job that where, where he's traveling and has gone back to his old position so that as and when he does regain custody or possession of his daughter, he's able to care for her. Um, so, it, it, you know, they're, they're, they're running into this approach that, well, there's no proof that this child's been traumatized, so therefore it's not an emergency. Many a child development expert many a forensic psychology expert will say the child is at high risk. Um, there's also something called what's called the Stockholm Syndrome that is attributed to what happened to Patty Hearst. If you remember, she was a, a millionaire heiress who was kidnapped and isolated from everything she knew and she loved to the point and to the extent where she started identifying with her abductors, so much so that she helped them rob a bank. Now imagine if that is happening to an adult, how much more susceptible children are to that type of deconstruction and reconstruction. And the longer they, you know, every day, every week, every month, 
they're in a foreign country, a foreign land, a foreign environment, and being convinced by everybody around them that they're in a better place, they're going to have a better life, and and look at all these people that love them and care about them, that becomes their status quo. The left-behind parent is at a severe disadvantage, is highly prejudiced, when a court says, no emergency, no need to return the child right away. It's a scary thing to not have the courts recognize when there's a child in trouble, especially when there's other uh, aspects involved, including um, it would seem that there are cultural differences where, um, you know, U.S. judges and predominantly, um, you know, let's say our suburban areas that don't have uh, a large enough minority populations in different cultures don't understand, um, you know, how kids are, are acting or interacting. So it is very key, uh, like you point out, to get other professionals involved um, to submit things to the courts and help the courts understand. So we'll be back with uh, Attorney Malini Bayana in a few short moments after we pause for our second sponsor break. For those of you who have just turned in, you are listening to ALRPRA's Law Talk Radio. We have a special broadcast today talking about international child custody issues and the campaign that Attorney Malini Bayana is uh, working on to spread the information to those who just don't know what to do when these situations arise. Our second sponsor for today is Attorney Jim Thompson. He is an attorney who is a seasoned marketing coach. He no longer practices law. He retired from the law practice to help other attorneys get more clients. His program is called Get Clients Now, and he'll help you take the crucial steps towards increasing your firm's revenues. The Get Clients Now program employs various time-honored techniques to help you attract new business by encouraging referrals. Jim is going to be and has been a recurring guest on the Lawyer's Toolbox show on ALRPRA Law Talk Radio regarding attorney marketing. To learn more about Jim Thompson and the Midwest Consulting Group, please visit MidwestConsultants.net and also check out his testimonials on Facebook by searching Get Clients Now. The ALRPRA team strongly endorses the Get Clients Now program and understands the personal accountability component of this course. You can get in touch with Jim Thompson today by visiting MidwestConsultants.net consultants.net. Again, reminder to our listeners out there, please email us your questions and comments at info at ALRPRA.com. And don't be shy. Pick up the phone and call to say hello at 917-889-9732, option one. Now back to Attorney Melanie Bayana. We were uh, talking a little bit about the two examples where you uh, discussed uh, issues that other people are facing. Uh, Did you have any more comments on that, or would you like to tell us uh, more about what can be done when the courts just don't understand? I'd really like to focus on the children for a moment, Nick. Sure. Um, The voices of the children and their ability to speak out and assert their rights, whether it's to nationality, to citizenship, to culture, to preferences. Now, Obviously, one needs to take into account their developmental age and stage and, you know, ability to make decisions for themselves. And an experienced child development expert would be able to speak to that. When you have the the greatest casualties and the greatest crime is really committed against the children when these sorts of things happen. And the reason I say that is because the abductor will do everything in their power to prevent 
the child's sentiments, feelings, wishes to be expressed in any forum or venue or to any person or power that can assert their rights. And I'm speaking about a court of law. They may not present them to the court, whether in India or in the United States, and find find ways to obstruct their ability to have an in-camera interview. Um, the U.S. consulate oftentimes requests, a, again, a welfare whereabouts check if there is any allegation of abuse or silencing by the left-behind parent. However, they are not able to conduct such a check without the permission of the parent who has possession or custody. So they, too, have no access to the child without cooperation from the abductor, which oftentimes they don't get the cooperation. And the interesting part of this is that when the U.S. State Department does conduct such a welfare and whereabouts check, which I, too, have been requesting for the course of, you know, this entire year without cooperation from father, is that they can and will issue an objective report that both parents can use for whatever purpose they want in any court of law. So they don't necessarily take sides and they don't necessarily believe any one parent's version of what's going on. They're basically the fact-finding body that will talk to the child, document everything the child says, and then provide a report, and again, an objective report. They're not evaluators, they're not assessors, they're not there to decide who's you know, the fit and proper parent or to make any um, real, to draw any real conclusion as to whether the child is or is not traumatized, so on and so forth. They're not equipped for that. Now, one has to really question if the abductor is objecting to such a welfare and whereabouts check, whether the child truly is faring well in their care. Because frankly, if their if their position is they're doing great, they're you know well adjusted and happy and and accepting of their situation, then actually they have very low risk and great benefit from allowing the U.S. consulate to come and conduct such a check. However, time and time again, they are denied access to the child. Same thing with the court of law. Now, in many foreign countries, the disadvantage is that there is no court reporter present. So if you have, you know, I know many of these countries, and and I'm not going to necessarily um, identify which which countries may be susceptible to this, but there's a high degree of corruption. Um, lawyers, judges, law enforcement officials, even you know, high-ranking lawyers, judges, law, law enforcement officials are very susceptible to bribes and um, not only require them for any cooperation, but will accept them. And... In many of these countries, court reporters and in-camera interviews are not present. The judges may interview the child um, alone or with or without the counsel present. Generally speaking, the parents or litigants are not allowed 
in, in chambers. So it really sets children up to not have their statements, their desires, their wishes accurately reported, either in you know on in court or in an order or you know in any type of um, report back to whatever officials are handling the case at that time. In America, generally speaking, if there's an in-chambers interview, there is a court reporter present. Um, the attorneys are, are able to be in the room, generally, and or a child rep or a GAL, uh, sometimes, oftentimes, the parents. So the child is more protected. However, that that type of situation can also <laughs> um, intimidate the child where, you know, they they may not be secure enough to, to, to express their true feelings. So there there are sure. ways we need we need to protect children and really help them feel safe and secure, especially when they know, well, it doesn't end here. I still have to go back with with the parent who's abducted me. What's he or she going to do when I speak the truth, right? Until this is all said and done. The um the second thing I want to say is about cultural differences. Now you take India versus America and cultural and legal differences. In America, as it stands today, in Illinois, grandparents, extended family, etc., they don't have any formal legal rights to visitation, etc. Um, hopefully, parents and families will work out agreements where there is a close relationship that's facilitated not only with the other parent but with the extended family. And in general, it is the parent's responsibility during their time, whatever parenting time it is, to involve the extended family, to have the child interact with them and get to know them and develop a close relationship with them. One of the things we also have in the U.S. is what's called the right of first refusal, where because a parent has a superior right to time with their child, if the other parent is not exercising their time, um, they have to first offer it to the other parent and say, would you like this time or can I have, you know, my parents or my brother watch our child and, and spend time with them and enjoy the time that I can't exercise. So those sorts of things are protections in the United States for parents, um, however, they're not necessarily available in foreign countries. And I know in India in particular, it is commonplace for, again, grandparents to raise the children, household help to raise the children. It is not scorned upon if a, a parent, mother or father, really is, is not intimately involved with the child's life at all, so long as they are providing child care in one shape or another, they're still good parents. The other piece of it, too, especially in, again, countries like India, and I can't speak to, you know, all, all lands and all countries and all cultures, because of the hourglass society, 80% is rural, there's, there's just an immense degree of poverty in that country, there's a heavy emphasis on um, education, providing, you know, financial security and stability, I mean, for generations to come. 
And so those parents who can uh, provide a very luxurious life or very, you know, highly affluent, comfortable life, the top schools, the top, uh, you know, top-notch education can be favored, even if that parent is never around <laughs> or even if that parent, you know, really wants the child for other purposes, not so much because they're, they're interested in raising the child. Um, so there you have courts in two different countries who are going to approach the exact same situation and family um, conflict in diametrically opposite ways in terms of who is the fit and proper parent, who, you know, what is in the best interest of the child. In fact, the attorney I spoke with today, he said he was a little nervous that the court might say, well, we're not going to necessarily bring back the child, but why don't we conduct an evaluation in India for the child? That's a dangerous proposition, <laughs> again, because mm-hmm. of the different approaches that a U.S. court might take or, or our norms, um, you know, and in, in our standards in terms of parental involvement with the child and our best interest of the child criteria. The other piece of it, too, is we need to have U.S. professionals who are licensed to practice here, who are held accountable by either professional licensing boards or U.S. courts who can be challenged if it seems like the the outcome or, or their recommendation does not um, conform with the facts that were presented. And, I, and I'll give you a prime example. My son, in fact, really wanted to talk to his therapist while he was in India and while, during periods that I had parenting time with him in the early stages. And I did call. He even wrote a letter to her, you know, asking, how can I get home? Can you help me? You know, I want to talk to you, that sort of thing, and that he, and all sorts of other very um, concerning statements that he made. When I contacted his therapist from India, she very rightfully said, she said, you know, number one, it's going to be a challenge because of the time difference, but number two, I'm not licensed to practice in India. And she said, and and she um, actually knows a lot about the laws surrounding this, and she said, I don't think under my professional regulations I can continue to provide therapy for your son when he's halfway across the world. And I think she was right. It's a a really tough thing. Let's pause quickly for our last break, and then we'll uh, come back to this. Sure. for those of you who have just tuned in, you are listening to ALRPRA's Law Talk Radio. Our guest today is Attorney Malani Bayana. We're talking about international child custody uh, and other issues affecting the child and the family. Um, our third sponsor today is credit damage expert George Finder. He is one of the only credit damage experts in the country who can put a dollar amount on the damage to someone's credit reputation in various situations. And attorneys and plaintiffs who have retained his services have earned huge damage awards in various practice areas, including personal injury law, employment law, family law, and general civil litigation. By learning to incorporate credit damage questions into the intake process, you and your staff will be better able to spot credit 
credit damage events worthy of retaining George Finder's credit damage analysis services. Right now, any of the listeners who contact George Finder and tell them that they heard about him on Law Talk Radio will receive, free of charge, one hour of CLE presentation. Grab a pen and take down this email address to respond to this offer. The email address is creditdamageassociates, that's plural, creditdamageassociates at gmx.com. Available nationwide, credit damage expert George Finder's website is full of resources. Please visit creditdamageexpert.com to learn more about George Finder and his expert services. We now go back to Attorney Malanine Bayana in our discussion of international uh, child custody and other uh, issues affecting the families. We want to remind our audience members that they can always call into the show at area code 917-889-9732, option one to be placed in the queue, and we appreciate your emails at info, I-N-F-O, at A-L-R-P-R-A dot com. Uh, Malani, back to our discussion. You were talking a little bit about the mental health professionals and the other professionals in the life licensing um, issues when we cross state and uh, foreign lines, um, that seems to be a big problem. Yes. And again, I I really wanted to emphasize that when a U.S. court is handling a a case that involves U.S. residents or U.S. citizens, they really need to employ U.S. professionals um, that, again, can either be held accountable or and you're even talking about forum nonconvenience issues. Mm-hmm. This father should not have to, how, how is he going to participate in the process, any type of evaluation, when he's got a job he's got to keep here? He can't be traveling to India and taking weeks and months at a time off. Um, and, again, the process is much, much different. What an, eva- an evaluation in India is not going to be the same as an evaluation here in terms of, of process, procedure, um, and also accountability in terms of fact-finding, recording. We don't know how evaluations are conducted in India, so we have to make sure that the standards are the same, and also we're employing U.S. licensed practitioners. Now, you, you present a, a difficult question there when you say the standards are the same, and you know, I, yeah, I'm thinking about uh, just domestically. You know, if one attorney wants to go to another um, another state and uh, get into their bar in a pro hoc vice motion to, for a limited uh, case, work on something or represent someone, but that's more different when you cross. I mean, I don't even know that the Indian courts would even allow that, or vice versa. Um, you, what? How can you work towards? Uh, collaborative steps between the you know, differing jurisdictions to have some standardization? Has there, what work has been done so far, or what do you suggest? I do know that under the UCCJEA, the Uniform Child Custody Jurisdiction Enforcement Act, there is, um, there is a suggestion that the judges on the trial court level have a conference. And that's helpful at times or not so helpful. <laughs> Again, right. depending on, there could be language barriers, there could be, um, you know, differences in terms of, of how they conduct their business in their courtrooms. I will tell you in India, everything is done by, by via affidavits and production of documents, copies alone. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's no testimony taken. The The litigants are not sworn in. There's no... Um, evidence 
the evidence is a sworn affidavit and copies of doc- any documentation you want to submit. Now, that's much different than a U.S. court where we do have witnesses. Um, generally, they have to be original documents that are produced and uh, authenticated in an evidentiary hearing before there's any determination of custody, whether it's it's temporary or permanent. So, again, we really, really need to, before, before a U.S. court is so quick to either defer to another jurisdiction or another court um, or say, well, you know, there's no emergency and there are pending proceedings going on, so we're not going to disrupt that until we know what that foreign state or foreign country is going to do. It's Again, it's a dangerous prospect, in, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, Nick, I wanted to mention was even in intact families, what's happening, I received a call from an Elgin attorney several months ago panicking because he had... And, and again, I'm, I'm focusing on the cases that I'm getting, and, and many of them seem to deal with India because I'm getting contacted by others, whether they're lawyers or, or litigants, based on the the media coverage. Um, in my own case, this, the New York Times, the Daily Herald, um, even NBC News has covered our case. And so people are turning to me to say, okay, what happened and what was your experience and what do you suggest? Um, both as as a parent and as an attorney. When what happened in this case was, it was a somewhat troubled marriage. Um, but mother, and oftentimes in in Indian communities and in Indian families, um, there is not only a resistance to um, seeking legal protections or or even help in a domestic violence situation from within the family and and the general community, but also um, internal conflict, whether it's a a mother or a father, because vows are taken very seriously, and especially where children are involved, they don't want to break up the family. So things may get delayed or there may be, you know, efforts to keep the marriage together and work things out. In in this particular case... um, there was trouble, and I guess Mom had seen some red flags, but you know wasn't ready to take a step of separation divorce or any legal protections and One fine day, Father somehow took the children out of the country and was on his way to India and We're not sure how he managed that because there now there's a requirement that both parents have to um, consent to any visas being issued, so we don't know if there were forged documents involved, and that that's a big business right now as well. Um, mm-hmm. So the problem was that it wasn't 14 days since the children had been taken and were missing, so it wasn't an official kidnapping just yet. So the Elgin attorney said, what do I do? I can't go into court and say the children have been kidnapped. Mom and Dad aren't divorced, intact family, He's not bringing them back. So I just suggested go in anyway because, again, it's the whole first-in-time issue. If Dad gets to India and gets orders 
ex parte there, you're out of luck because you don't have any pending proceedings in the U.S. I said, go in on an emergency motion tonight, obtain an ex parte emergency order of protection, and let the judge know, you know, he was a risk. We knew, or mom thought this might happen, but hadn't taken any formal measures in court yet. The children have been abducted and kidnapped. They're not coming back. We want temporary custody granted to mom, and we want the children returned. And an order of protection from father, because, you know, in, in the event he, he attempts to do this again or um, for whatever reason, you know, will we'll traumatize mom or the children after the children have been returned. So he did take measures and steps to go into court. Now, unfortunately, I never heard back from him. I'm not sure what the outcome was. But at least they had proceedings in the U.S. that they could point to, even if Dad went and got orders in India to say, these children are U.S. citizens. Mom did not consent to the children being taken out of the country, even though it hasn't been 14 days. They were wrongfully removed. They're being wrongfully detained. And hopefully that will give mom some leverage to um, get the children back even through the courts of India because the most recent judgments in the, on the Supreme Court level have demanded that children who are uh, foreign nationals be returned to that foreign country, state, what have you, for any matters related to the custody of that child. And recent judgments that have come down, um, at least in India, the Supreme Court, as, as early as November and December of last year. In that the Supreme Court of India is complying with returning the children to the U.S. if they need to go back to the U.S.? That That's, that's the trend right now. Mm-hmm. Um, that is what the Supreme Court should be doing as per case law precedent. Right. It doesn't necessarily happen for all sorts of reasons. There could be a particular well, event that's influenced, or you know, who, who knows? But, but the, the the Supreme Court case law precedent does demand that children be returned to their country of of origin for any. Well, let's, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, I I was just going to say that it it seems, you know, we talk about policy and some other uh, issues that are impacting all this, and it certainly seems that it would be in the best interest of nations to acknowledge each other and play well with others, so to speak. Um, We have a lot of international transactions and business with India. I know so many people who, you know, are routinely having the – the conference calls with India because you usually call it it's 11 o'clock at night here when it's uh, you know business time over there and it, it I think it's something that we're going to see more and more people you know going back and forth and hopefully more people moving forward uh, and the courts uh, acknowledging other other nations and uh, giving giving uh, credit um, to UCCJEA issues um, and the Hague Convention. You know, there's so much going on here. So we, it's so much more than we have time for on this show. Um, so we will, I just want to let our, our uh, listeners know that um, Attorney Bayana will be back on here for uh, more follow-up shows as we dig deeper into finding out how to help people with these issues. But again, want to drive home the point that you should always contact an attorney or someone who is knowledgeable 
or other professional in the jurisdiction where you're having issues and not to engage in any self-help because people can put themselves in a whole pile of trouble that they're not expecting and it can be very difficult to dig out from that uh, once a person does engage in self-help I mean I, I you, we've all seen the movie of uh, the, the not without my child you know the lady literally you know kidnapped and stole her, her kid out of the the foreign country to come home I mean and that's you know that's glorified in the media, and it's not necessarily the right way to go because once you are you know, guilty of something like that, it seems like you would have so many more problems trying to uh, you know go through and, and use the system. And I know that an upcoming show that we have with um, another attorney is going to talk about a general course in civics, and that there are systems there within our governments, and they're there to help us. And where the governments fail, we need to help the governments create better systems. So we have to stay within the systems and find the right professionals and keep trying and keep searching because there are people out there, there are foundations out there and pro bono organizations who are there to lend time to people who are, you know, as, as Attorney Bayan is suggesting, the, the parent left behind who may not have other resources. So uh, Malini Bayana, we look forward to uh, your subsequent appearances on the program and more information that we will have uh, shortly as, as that becomes available. Thank you, Nick. I really appreciate this opportunity, and, and truly um, I'm really hoping to turn my trials into treasures and, and my son's experiences um, to help many parents and children around the world who are affected by this so that children are protected, parents are protected, and families um, play play fair, as you said. Play fair and play nice. <laughs> Exactly. Well, and thank you so much for also using your uh, situation and the help that you have with others to speak up and say something because too often people don't say anything and so much uh, effort can be put through uh, one set of circumstances and one set of parties and the benefit is not reaped by the larger society as a whole um, unless we share those experiences. So thank you again for being on the show today and we look forward to having you on again. My pleasure. Thank you, Nick. All right. Thank you also to our listeners out there, uh, as well as our sponsors. Our sponsors for today's program were, number one, the Intellectual Property Law Office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Secondly, Jim Thompson of the Midwest Consulting Group. And finally, credit damage expert George Finder. Again, this is a general information program, and the advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice. Results may vary and are based on specific facts and location. Communication with our attorney guests among guests and callers on the show does not give rise to an attorney-client relationship. If you have other questions... uh, you are always encouraged to consult with an attorney and or other relevant profession, professional in your area. Finally, all callers do remain confidential and all rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. These Law Talk radio broadcasts are programmed to bring our attorney and non-attorney audiences the tips, tools, and practice area information they can use to be better informed practitioners and consumers of legal services. With listeners and guests located nationwide, we appreciate the opportunity to use this socially networked radio program to bring people together and share collective intelligence. This is Nick Augustine for ALRPRA Incorporated, and we thank you for your time. Thanks, Melanie. Have a nice day. You too, Nick. Thank you.